been a um, been a bit inspired by the dolphin, eh, Jolie? Been out on your bike. I've always, yeah, absolutely, uh, mirroring mirroring the feats of all of our favourites over there, <laughs> all of them. But have you been riding your mountain bike or your roadie? Yeah. No, mountain bike. Uh, Roadie is currently in disrepair, so need you to service that for me as soon as you can, we'll if you ride. don't mind. The, the tour's a couple of weeks away, Joel. You can't, yeah, have, you can't have a bike out of order. <laughs> Definitely need to get some Ks up before then. Um, that's, but a yeah, bit like, um, that's a bit like Unchained, one of the episodes oh. where they've got all the mechanicals and they're running across the road. It's like a funny Benny Hill moment, like a gif. Merksy. We're recording. Oh, good. Okay, that's amazing. And if you're watching on, you'll notice that we're in in boxes at the moment. I'm uh, everything I own is in a box to the left, and Kate, you're uh, in <laughs> a box to I the right. Everything I own is in a box to the right. Yeah. Yeah. You can it's, call uh, me Beyonce if you like. <laughs> you also have a blurred setting happening, uh, so that when you lift your coffee up, it blurs. It as though we've deliberately planned that so to not drop a, a you know, a company or something. So we've thought I of do. everything. I do. Hold on, I'm going to fess up to that, Joel. The reason I've blurred my background um, while I'm dialing into the bunker um, is because I didn't iron the background. <laughs> oh, you didn't iron the backdrop? Oh. No, I've, I, I borrowed a tablecloth, a black tablecloth from my mother um, to peel back the curtains a little bit on our production. And um, she was about to drive to Brisbane, so I, she didn't have time to iron it. And uh, quite frankly, Joel, I don't know where the iron is. So here Fair enough. Are. Clearly, you never went to backdrop college because that is day one, lesson one, always iron the backdrop. Yeah. But that's okay. It's episode 51 of the Wheelhouse podcast. We've raised the bat for the half century and now we charge forward uh, into number 51. And a fair bit to get through, as you mentioned. Uh, Vingago and the like just just strutting their stuff uh, overseas. Of co- I'm, I'm interested to talk about pain in the Pyrenees because there's been some absolute chaos over there and some aspersions thrown in the wake of that as well. We'll talk a little bit more about what we've seen uh, now that cycling has gone fully mainstream with Netflix and a few reactions from some of our absolute favourites <coughs> uh, in that as well. Uh, and check in, Rupert Guinness is, is riding across America as you do. Uh, have you ever ridden across an entire country, Kate Bates? Well, ah. Uh... I don't think purposefully. I mean, I may have ridden across the Netherlands kind of by accident because it's very easy to do because it's very, you know, small. Right. Uh, but I, I haven't purposefully. But I would now if I could, to be honest. If I could go back uh, and do some of those things, I probably would. But I'm going to age myself with this comment, uh, Joel. I didn't even have a Garmin like, or a, I had an old school computer that kind of showed speed and distance. Um, oh, wow. That was about it. Average speed. But I, I didn't have one of these new fancy ones because they were pretty new on the market. Um, but nowadays, not only can you ride across countries, but we've seen the Strava art. We've seen um, some pretty magnificent data and um, dot tracking. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But uh, there's a lot of ways to do it nowadays. Yeah. Maybe, we, wow. maybe the wheelhouse should ride across the country. Not Australia, yeah. though. It's a bit big. We could do a forest gun. We rode clear one. across the state of Alabama. Uh, okay, let's let's get into it because uh, I want to talk about Jonas's form over overseas. In uh, you're going to make me say it pro- properly, of course. Dauphiné, Dauphiné, oh, Dauphiné. Well done. How's that? Not bad. <laughs> I, uh, well, I, you know, there's no R in in Dauphiné, but I'll take Dauphiné. it, Joel. I'll take it. We're um we're warming up ahead of. Uh, the Tour de France, of course. As Would you is, say Jonas is difficult. knocking on the Dauphiné over there uh, with some expired, inspired form? 
Right, let's talk about him and what it means as we do get closer and closer to the tour, but also uh, some of our Aussie absolute favourites uh, doing really, really well. And uh, I think uncommon ground uh, to see three Aussies up in lights like this as well. Yes. Well, Joel, I have a wheelhouse exclusive. Um, so I'm very excited to announce that the Lord Mayor of uh, Perth, Basil's in Palace, um, one of yes. our eminent sports uh, commentators. I've worked with him um, at some Olympics and Com Games over the year. Uh, he has tentatively agreed to commission a statue for Glutes O'Connor, Ben Glutes O'Connor. Um, I say tentatively because actually he just liked to tweet about it. Um, but I'll take that, right? That's enough. That's, like That's indicative. plenty. That'll hold up in court. Um, yeah, so is yeah. he uh, is he agreeing to the <laughs> what we want, which is a statue of uh, oh, us? Oh, I've got, got a, to the details yet. <laughs> I want to call it the Colossus, the Colossus of glutes. <laughs> well, look, we've we've had the designers um, on the go, and I think yeah. we agreed last week, didn't we? <laughs> even though I didn't want to, that the statue of glutes would pretty much be just of the glutes. But I think details, details, and. Yeah, he's got a bit of hot competition because Jai Hindley, Juro winner, he's now in the top five as well. So yeah. we had Ben O'Connor in third, Jai Hindley in fourth, and then we had Jack Haig uh, rounding Love out Jack the top Haig. five. Massive uh, result for the three Aussies last year. Ben O'Connor was third, and Jack Haig was fifth. So we've seen two win the top five, but not three. And it is such a big uh, run in to the Tour de France that I think we've got to get excited. And it was mountains, mountains, mountains. And yep. uh, the only thing that really let Glutesy down, I think, uh, was the time trial. But Joel, if we want to, you know, look at our little, um, what's that ball called, you know, that tells you fortunes? Crystal what ball. am I? Chris, crystal thank ball. you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if we look into our crystal ball, there's yep. not many time trial kilometres at this year's Tour de France. Okay. Joel, so that's, I'm liking that for our So they're, they're going the distance and they're doing it at speed. I was yeah. just about to break into that song there, going yeah, yeah. distance. <laughs> Sorry, Bloodhound Gang, whoever that was. Uh, look, it, it's awesome to see Benny Benny O'Connor peaking at the right time, but Jai, Jumpin' Jai, uh, never jump never far away as well. I like that. And sort of comes, emerges at the right time, the right place, the right time. It's He's done an exceptional job when he won the Giro last year of then preparing this season not doing the Giro, not going yeah. back, but looking for the Tour de France. I think he's on a lot of people's radars, but at the same time, there's more pressure on other riders. And so he can, to a degree, kind of ride his own race uh, yeah. and, and Bora will be doing a pretty good job to support him. Um, but I'm just wondering, Joel, do you reckon he's of the generation? Do you think he even knows who Jumping Jai Tarima is? Jumping Jai Tarima. Because that's where the nick nickname comes from. So we had, he was a triple jumper, wasn't he? Jumping uh, or, a, or a long was jumper? He a I thought he was a long jumper. Yeah, well, look, he jumped. He it, was it, jumping. Look, jump. Put it this way, he jumped great distances. Yes. He, he jumped great distances forward, not upward. I know yes. he wasn't a pole vaulter. He wasn't a high jumper or a pole vaulter. Okay. <laughs> uh, look, we'll find out. He's a good friend of the wheelhouse. But I like what you say there because we do often talk about the uh, the hot 300 or however many riders are in the forefront of, of the men's side and the women's side at the moment. But Jai, Jai despite his results, uh, being a Giro winner, is often, he's not in that discussion. So coming up as a GC contender and doing it like this uh, on the eve of the tour, I love it. I love the momentum. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and it's good. I think it's good for all of them. Um, 
to be able to, like for the Aussies, to come in as almost, and I say this with absolute respect, um, second tier behind the Pogacas and the Vingagos where all eyes will be on them because Indeed. it gives them a little bit more freedom and it also gives them a bit of space from the press. Um, you know, of course, the Aussie press will be all over them, but we don't have a huge Australian press contingent over there. Uh, yeah. We get incredible coverage for what we do have, in fact, but SBS send quite a small team and, and a lot of our content comes uh, from them and then the likes of Sophie Smith. Um, I'm actually really looking forward to um, Sophie Smith and, and hi to Sophie. She hosted with me um, at the Tour Down Under before you got down there with the wheelhouse. But Sophie asks really respectful but hard questions. Like she's yep. really good at getting the athletes, um, at like peeling back the covers a little bit into yep. what they're feeling and how they're approaching it. Um, in the way that only a really, you know, well-hardened journo like herself could do. And and so I think that we might get a few really personalised Aussie insights um, from some of the team that are over there. I'm looking forward to that. And I think I think you don't get too much pressure from the Aussie press because they're all nice, Joel. Uh, uh, 100%. Uh, and look, it's, it's in, an interesting point to make because we'll talk soon about media athlete relationships and how they can have an impact on the uh, intentions and the psyche of both camps. Let's be honest. We'll get into that. I want to ask you quickly about Jonas because you're, we've, we've spoken about Aussies. They feel like family. Jonas is genuinely family. So you must be excited that your 17th cousin is uh, peaking at the right time as well. Oh, I am, you know, family first, bro, and all that. Yeah, um, yeah. I, he's, I just <laughs> he's a... like, there's something, and we're, we're going to talk Unchained a little bit later, but there's something about his nature uh, that I have really warmed to. You know, he's not a natural in the spotlight. He, after the tour last year, well broadcast that he took a bit of mental health space and that he mm. struggled um, with all of the, the spotlight and all of that, and we've certainly seen... Uh, at the Dolphin A, we talked about it last week in one of the early stages that he won, but there'd been some stuff happening in the world that he said it's bigger than cycling. And I just really love that his approach to it is pretty open, emotive, vulnerable uh, yep. in many ways. I think Definite that must be tough for him, but yep. I, I like the vulnerability. Like it, it just makes him very human and you go along on the ride with him a bit more. Like you feel it a bit more, don't you think? Like I do. I really do. We get used to these. I mean, you joke about it all the time, Joel, like these, you know, it's a game of two halves. The boys did their best. And they're just like these media trained lines that come out of their mouths. Almost. It didn't, doesn't even matter who would say them. It's the same thing, but I feel like he kind of gives us just a real insight into what he's actually thinking. Yep, 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 yep. And the old line, you know, I can only focus on what I can control. And he's like, well, I can focus on what I can't control, which is stuff happening in the world as well, which has an effect. And it's like, oh, wow, that's, yeah, they're, they're, they're very much human beings. Thank you for the reminder, Cousin Jonas. We'll see you at Christmas. Um, <laughs> he didn't turn up a... last year, Joel. So uh, I know. I think um, we need to, to get on the, uh, on the prod there to see if we can get him for a, a prawn barbecue. I wonder if he'll wear his maillot jaune, just, just like turn up in and just like, hey guys, uh, sorry, was there a colour code today? Was it yellow? <laughs> uh, let's let's uh, talk. So we're very happy with the Aussies' progress leading into the tour. Cousin Jonas as well. Uh, the R statue is looking really good. The Colossus of Glutes. Uh, let's now go to the uh, the Tour de Suisse, Kate Bates, because one thing, and you mentioned this doco, we'll talk about it as well, but Stefan Kung 
coming up in that as well as one of the the genuine elite sprinters, but not quite at the top of that pile. But plenty of reason to be smiling broadly, and that's absolutely what he was doing after the time trial. Oh, I love Stefan Kung. I remember last year when the wheelhouse was in its infancy, Joel, and we were um, talking about the Steph arms. Um, of course, Stefan Bissiger being the other one um, yep. who does feature heavily in, in Unchained. But Stefan Kung is like, a, like there's something about his face that's like a little kid and he just has so much joy <laughs> uh, on his face. And he goes from pulling these intense suffering faces in a time trial like a flycatcher with his mouth open to just this broad, giant smile, um, especially, of course, when he's successful. Everybody smiles more on that end. But he just genuinely uh, is one of the nice guys who goes out there, does his business, and uh, when he wins, it's a bonus. And I love that. Mm. And I think that he's super refreshing. And um, I think that ahead of um, a tour with not a lot of time trials, it's a bit disappointing for a rider like him. Uh, But, you know, it was good to see him win again. But... um, can we talk about, yeah. just to um, go off the the rundown here, and sorry, Merksy, uh, but the Wout versus Remco in the time trial, I know they weren't yeah. um, on the top because Stefan Kung was, but are we watching like a preview of what's to come with the World Championships, maybe the Belgian Championships? Like, is this really the big story here, Joel? Like Wout versus Remco in time trials? Well, it's they they need a stage to take this to take this rivalry to, and it's not going to be the tour, obviously. So why the heck not? I say, I know. It's I love cool, the competition. I love the competition, yeah. and uh, Remco has obviously had a, a pretty big week as well. It's not exactly hot off the press that he won't be competing in the in the tour, uh, but obviously has still plenty to prove and plenty to ride for, and I think. I think it's safe to say a bit of a chip on his shoulder at the moment. I think that's becoming really clear. So who better to take that out on than Wout Van Aert? <laughs> you think that um, they're, they're a good match for um, any shoulder chipping? I well, I think both of them have a chip on their shoulder at the moment, to be honest. They're both oh, a bit grumpy. Yes. They're both I a think... bit grumpy. So they're like, you know what? I'm coming for you, Remco, because I just can't find anyone else <laughs> in my stratosphere to take this out on. It's I, I've got to say I'm a little bit sad for Remco I mean I think it's the right thing to not ride the Tour de France he's he's come out and said that but I feel a little bit sad that he does have a chip on his shoulder when he's so young and so fresh with so much ahead of him that the media's kind of burned him a little bit with all the reporting around his withdrawal from uh, the Giro and, and COVID and like we've gone from this really open young man who you know we had fun with at the press conference at um, the Wollongong World Championships, um, you know, when I was asking him if he'd heard of the wheelhouse and he said he was a big fan, we're going to put that Huge one fan. down in lights. But it's like that was such a jovial, relaxed, nice kid. And to now see him quite defensive and I, I think that's a real shame. Like the media's it done is. that to him. And I hope that the media can win back his trust and a little bit because like we talked about with Jonas and showing the vulnerability, um, we don't want a cranky Remco who is doing media simply because he has to. If I drop on the first mountain stage, it would be like a big bomb explosion in Belgium. Direct quote there from Remco. Uh, I I think there's a lot to be looked into here around these relationships. And we spoke about it recently after the Giro and that we were talking about the Italian media 
at that point, basically saying you're a big softie because you've bailed with COVID. And everyone coming out and saying, no, he was genuinely sick. And he's backed that up again with these comments and really alluded to this this relationship. And I want to go further on this because we've seen, uh, again, the great access of this doco that's doing the rounds at the moment, Primoz Roglic, also with an extremely prickly relationship with the media. And it's not just in cycling, it's across so many sports where we're so desperate for clickbait we're so desperate for headlines we're so desperate to manufacture angles that we're hammering these guys and it's like he is an ambitious young man he has made that abundantly clear he wants to be the best nothing's going to detract from that don't don't come at him like this when he's got genuine issues happening and the tour not doing the tour de france abandoning the giro these decisions don't come lightly for the fact of him to come out and say no this is why i'm not doing it because you guys would make it a shit show for me. I think that's really ugly. I think that's really significant as well. It I have a I had a really interesting relationship with the media when I was writing because I just wasn't I mean it wasn't the same social media age that it is now, but I just wasn't that into it because I didn't trust them very much and I don't know why. I think just intrinsically. Mm. Um but after Amy Gillett passed away, I called um, one of the reporters, and he's one of the best, Roger Vaughan, and shout out to Rog. Um, I called him a vulture um, at one point because mm-hmm. they were asking a lot of questions um, about how we were feeling about Amy and her death and the impact on the other girls. And at the time, emotionally, I just thought it was foul, to be honest. Yeah. And that's yeah. not a slight at Rog because he's an exceptionally good journalist. Uh, and we've talked about it a fair bit since and um, and joked about it. But I think that there's such a disconnect in those moments between what the athletes are feeling, the gravitas of it, and the need for journalists, with respect to them, to do their jobs as well um, and get some stories. And so there is a real balance. And I think as more media come to uh, these events and cover cycling and as it is growing, it's a responsibility for journos to build a relationship with the athletes, to make them feel emotionally safe. And so that even if the athletes don't trust the broader media that they still know that there are some safe spots to to talk and that they can block out the noise but it's a really mm. hard one and you know i think that the documentary unchained which you know is everybody's talking about around their water cooler at the moment that's probably the biggest um game changer for the last couple of years in what they can see media uh, the role of media and, Indeed, um, yeah. yeah it's, it's a really interesting space at the moment. I think you've spoken beautifully there. And I think it's not about molly coddling. Of course it's not. If there's a story to be told, if there's something to be fronted up to and some accountability to be had, yes, we want that. And that is part of the price of being in the spotlight. And, and that's just how it works. But sometimes, and I think Remco is a really rolled gold example of exactly what you're saying, is just pushing a little bit too hard on that. And to be honest... The pressure is coming within the peloton and we're seeing it again at Tour de Suisse because one of the great and difficult to pronounce names uh, ha- that you highlighted and, put, and just del- delightfully put me on the spot and made me try and, to work my way around has has seen a meteoric rise. His first name's Matthias. <laughs> What's his What's surname? His surname? No, no, <laughs> no. I got in first, Kate. What's his surname? Skelmoza. That's what I, I was going to say. Skelmoza. Yeah, yeah. Not, uh, are you yeah, sure it's not Sujukelemosi? 
Yeah. It, oh, gosh. I tell you, with all the um, various pronunciations of Vingagor um, that we got at last year's tour and we're sure to get again, I think um, as Skelmorza rises through the ranks, we'll get that too. Now, he's only 22, so he's one of these you know, young generations that we're seeing, essentially kids, to age mm. myself to call them kids. But Absolute babies, aren't they? They are. They really yeah. are. They And they look like boys because yeah. they're so baby-faced. But he's 22, Danish rider. Trek picked him up um, a couple of years ago. They must have seen the big talent in him. But he's had a bit of a rough uh, intro into World Tour. And if you look down his CV... The reason that we were pronouncing uh, his name and learning to for the first time was because he got second at Flesh Wallon. But before that, there weren't a lot of reasons to pronounce his name, uh, except that last year at the Tour of Catalonia, Joel, uh, he famously went off the edge of a bridge um, after a badly handled corner on a descent, and he went 15 metres down into a ravine. Terrifying uh, images. Somehow this kid... He's fine. He climbs back out. And the first thing he says is, can somebody give me my bike? I need a bike. Yeah. And uh, he and he ran top 10. So I think that goes to show his character. Bike uh, me he's up. Obviously, yeah, he's obviously got a fair bit of talent. And uh, he's been just romping it at the Tour of Swiss and, and beating the yeah. lights of uh, Remco. So I'm thinking that he's just another one to add. Did we start with like a pack of four that we thought... Yeah, well, I think it was almost like tennis at at one point, a big three, a big three, because Primoz was sort of out of, you know, out of the spotlight a bit. So we were talking uh, Pogaccia, obviously, your beautiful cousin and Remco. Uh, but now, obviously, Prim is back in absolutely stunning fashion. And it's, I don't know, it's a big 500 because I'm going to throw the Aussies in there as well. Yeah, well, I'm throwing Jai in there. I'm throwing Glutzy in there. I don't even care. I'm, I'm throwing them all bit, in there. Uh, He'll be good. And because Mads Pedersen is there as well. Mads um, is in Trek. there, yeah. And so if we look to the tour, and, and we're at that time of year where everything is kind of looking toward the tour, uh, they're in a really good position. And I like it. And there's something going on um, in Scandinavia because mm. they're just riding out of their skin, all these youngsters. There's something in the beef. Oh, I went there. <laughs> I uh, This is the Wheelhouse Podcast. You're listening to this 51st episode, and we're going deep on the Tour de Suisse. And I want to just make one more point because uh, I'm going to say it right now. The pride, the pride of Eritrea back. Yeah. One of our absolute favorites who has been out of, out of well, our radar a bit this year, which is saying something because we very much have a global radar on this show. <laughs> by, as you say, sliding into the DMs of riders, whether they like it or not. Uh, Biniam Gourmet, back with an absolute bang. Why has he been forgotten? And what what what's what is happening here, Kate? Help me. Boom. Yeah, he. I mean, he's another rider. He had a massive start to 2022 season, um, and we saw him doing just amazing things at the Giro until he unfortunately had to exit after an eye injury caused by the champagne cork, if we can recall that. That's um, right. Which I think is just one of the best. I mean, how did that not happen when Netflix were around? Come on, that's fantastic. <laughs> um, but <laughs> yeah, I'm I can imagine him at the hospital. The doctor's like, I'm sorry to say, Vinium, you've popped one off. Uh, you're going to be uh, in intensive care for a few weeks. <laughs> well, one of those really I, embarrassing injuries to take to the ICU, I think. But I, I am glad to report that his eyesight was not damaged because yes. that would have been uh, not a laughing matter at all. Uh, but And then his season just didn't necessarily get back on track 
Um, like we mm. thought, like he was there and thereabouts, but uh, not not right up the pointy end. And it's great to see him back. He's such a dynamic sprinter. And mm. uh, yeah, I, I really like his impact um, in the bunch. And it's when you see, you know, Gourmet on great form again, and we know that Caden Groves is on um, great form. We saw that um, at the Giro. You're, you're starting to see the emergence of, uh, the sprinters and the one-day riders really coming into form. And yeah. and that's where it gets so interesting. I think of all the race days that there are, the reason that the tour um, is such a big mecca is because it truly is where everybody is on their best form. Whereas a mm. lot of the other races, you've got some targeting it, but some not really. Nobody goes to the Tour de France to prepare for another race or to warm up for something. So it is really where everybody's on form. So when you've got Binny... Um, I love it. Yeah, he Benny was a big favourite uh, at the uh, Wollongong World Championships. He had huge number of Eritrean fans. I was going to say the travelling contingent. Yeah, it was massive, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, I think. Uh, look, Benny, and welcome back. He's been in corking form, and I think it's safe to say that his new nickname is Bubbles. So that's Bubbles. really good to say on the Wheelhouse podcast. Always good to see a champion come back, and this sport is full, full of examples. Uh, you've mentioned two so far. We've been we've been doing this show for what fifteen minutes, and just this week we've spoken about two incredible comebacks. Let's talk about shots fired and a little bit of drama uh, with a cancellation and some, just some some shit rhetoric uh, in the mm. women's tour of the Pyrenees. So I- incredibly dangerous conditions. Uh, look, safety prevails. All of that. A- an abandonment of the race crashes. Mm. Uh, race protocols a little bit all over the shop. But then I think an unnecessary extension of it from the race director uh, coming out saying, calm down, girls. Basically, you're not the boys. Let's be honest. That's essentially what he said. Yes. The uh, race director, Pascal Baudron, he is now on my shit list, Joel. That's a long uh, list. (laughs) It's a long list. Well, look, Lefebvre is now not at the top. This fella is. Um, So the... (laughs) Athletes were really concerned with the riding conditions because it was a rolling road closure. Um, some races like the Tour de France, it's a full road closure. So there's barriers up, there's police, cars cannot get on the route at all during the day. A rolling road closure, they close it ahead of the race and then once yep. the race passes through, they open it back up. So they were doing that in Wollongong. Exa- it's a great yeah. safe way to ride. Exactly. Wollongong had yep. rolling for the first part and then closed um, for the circuit. But what's happened is that they haven't had enough motos. They haven't been far enough ahead of the race. It's caused an absolute carnage. And at one point, it looked as though it was reported that the riders were wanting to neutralise the race. But actually, the race was neutralised because so many people had fallen off that the race doctor couldn't get back to the convoy. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. just an absolute mess. And Rightfully so. The riders have stood up for themselves. But uh, Mr. Pascal Baudron, public enemy number one, has come out and called them spoiled children. Oh, yeah, that, I, that I love this because really got me. he's essentially said, come on, guys, what do you think this is? You don't, you literally don't have the right to expect a completely safe race. That's, that's what he said. This isn't the tour de France. Look, what the yeah, I mean, what the fire the, truck? I I think when he he lost me when he said the whims of of spoiled children because I think a really basic human right, whether we're talking about sport or anything else, is to be safe. 
um, physically safe, emotionally safe, etc. And mm, to mm. put riders in danger and then call them spoiled and essentially like just patronize them and say it's not the Tour de France, it, it just it begars belief at this point. I think what it does highlight though uh, is how firstly on the pulse everybody is because a lot of people were picking up on this on social media, which is great uh, because course, yeah. this issue has been happening um, especially on the women's side for decades, I've got to say, like yeah. shocker. Um, but people didn't really know. So it wasn't talked about and it wasn't necessarily fixed. But the visibility now means that this guy should be and will be quite embarrassed, I imagine. His ego will be quite bruised uh, because he is now being um, held up as a, an example of what not to do. Um, it was just races. unnecessary. I just thought, look, the girls have demands that are not in line with their level. They imagine they're on the TDF, all roads must be closed, that everything must be locked down. But in France, we can't do that. What? Anyway, the, and then, quite honestly, it's not worth organising a race to see all these months of effort ruined by the whims of spoiled children. So the whims that you refer to, sir, are, are safety, are, are going out and not being killed in atrocious conditions with poorly organized protocols closed. Is that, are they the whims of spoiled children now? The right, it's to, just the right atrocious, to survive. Isn't it? Yeah. Look, Don't look like it's, it. I'm glad that the, vo the athletes have a voice now and I'm really proud to see Adam Hansen, um, mm. who's leading the writers union at the moment, really amplifying that. So I think in that regard, there's a positive that we can take from it. But, um, otherwise, um, I'm just bummed. We didn't get to see the athletes racing over all these beautiful mountains in France. I, mean, I agree. I agree. I understand and... from, um, I spoke to a couple of the riders and nobody really wanted to um, get too involved in the hoo-ha of what had already been a super negative experience. But I believe that the day after uh, it was cancelled, they took some lovely training rides, went up the Obisque, saw some beautiful peaks and had a wonderful uh, riding time around there. But it, it does bring up the issue that now there's a, a lot of race days lost and especially the non-European athletes will now have quite a big um, gap in the race calendar before the Giro. So it does have a material mm. effect on their season, but you know, safety first and hopefully the race isn't on the calendar next year if they can't sort themselves out. Well, look, that's what Adam Hansen said. So this is the women's races have to be on the same standard of the men. Of course they could. Like Pascal is very much deflecting his own cock up here. Uh, and it's because of bad organisation, bad rolling closures, all of that. That's that's what this is about. It's not about petulant yep. children, Pascal. You're being the petulant child in this. <laughs> yes. That That's yes. what's happening here. So yes. good on you. You look great. The world's really laughing and enjoying your little takedown on that one. So good, good to see. Let's move on on the Wheelhouse podcast. Uh, we'll stay with the women's side of it at the moment. Uh, EF launching a women's team. You've got some intel around this. Uh Increasing funding, increasing status. What's what's going on? I'm a bit excited. Boom, boom, boom. This is good news for the women. It's Now, when this story first dropped uh, this week, when they said EF are launching a women's team, I, I was a bit confused, to be honest. I was like, uh, they already uh, have one, Alison yeah. Jackson and Harry <laughs> Roubaix, with EF across her chest in the pink. I'm um, so glad you brought that up because that's why I was confused. I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> am I just losing it? Is this like an alternate timeline, multiverse or something? I know, okay, good. It, it, I, I think the comms were potentially a bit confusing, but the women's team, uh, while they do share EF as a sponsor to the fellas team, um, it the women's has been EF, Tibco, 
SVP, Silicon Valley Bank. Um, TIBCO and SVP are now out. And so um, what the men's organisation is doing that is headlined by um, Jonathan Waters, hasn't he been vocal lately, Joel? Uh, mm. They're bringing them in-house. So instead of being two separate teams that just share a sponsor, we're now going to have um, a women's and a men's team under the same banner. And it does give them access to it pretty much gives them like the keys to the kingdom, the women's side. So now they'll have that support in the same way that we see um, from Movistar or Jayco Alula or Trek, um, these big teams that operate as one, um, men and women. Um, in this moment, I'll say, Ineos, we're still looking at you. Where is your women's team? But we'll park that for another moment. Uh, but it is good. I think that it'll make quite a material difference. And we do have riders, like we've got the Paris Bay champion, Alison mm. Jackson. Uh, is on there. And it's a big team. We've got um, one of the Backstead uh, girls who will surely do big things uh, in the future. It is a really talented group of athletes and they deserve uh, to get that equal uh, kind of standing. So happy days for those. Ali ladies. Jackson uh, putting in one of the rides of the year across across genders, across um, formats. It doesn't even matter. That was outstanding. So that's that's really good to see. Not bad for a bunch of spoiled children, Kate Bates. I think you'd agree. Oh, my heavens. Indeed. Oh, indeed. <laughs> Last week, we were talking about team names, and I'd like to thank everyone who com who contributed because we had some absolute rippers oh, yes. come out. Go out. Long live the bin chickens. Uh, we were talking a bit about uh, about the, the fact that it's hard to become rusted onto teams because you don't know what they're called, basically, and that continues. And I love this because they've gone to social media, DSM, said, same team. <laughs> new name and kit. That's what the post says. It's like, same team, new name. It's not the same team. But anyway, There's... Team DSM <laughs> will become Team DSM Furmanich. 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 Nice. Oh, I was Soft pretty close. Furmanich. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I do like to look up our new sponsors and see what, what they do for the sport. I'm very happy with this one. And I think we've got another wheelhouse exclusive here, Joel, because <laughs> Furmanich is... Uh, a Swiss fragrance company, and okay. uh, I believe ahead of the Tour de France, um, they're launching with the team now. Uh, so by the end of 21 stages, we're going to have an eau de sweat uh, from Team DSM. Right. Yeah. They yep. can give out it's the sweaty jerseys and that as well. For yep. um, okay, great. You know, like Isamiaki, Aquadigio, we're going to yeah. have DSM team. <laughs> team fragrance what do you think because you I, know I, they're selling look, the jerseys at the end yeah. so they're just going to ring out the jerseys first and bottle it and bob's your uncle you've got a, a market leader how delightful think? yeah i look <laughs> uh, firstly when i first saw Furmanish, the uh the social media post had the emoji of a, a fire like a flame next to it oh. so i thought it meant f flame or fire so i was like dsm flame dsm fire okay sure doesn't mean that at all. Uh, and I, I don't know. I, I think I'd, I'd take fire over fragrance, but that's okay. I, I don't mind it. Uh, the, the sweaty jerseys are a big deal in cycling, so good luck to them. That merchandiser's dream. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, it's not that, unfortunately, it's not fresh money. DSM just acquired Furmanish as a company. And um, in, the, in the same way that we saw um, Lotto, um, and then every iteration of another company where it was Lotto Destiny and we had Lotto Bellasaur and, and we even had yeah. uh, Lotto Predictor 
the pregnancy test. Mate, uh, see, my, my, my gripe stands mm. overall. It is obviously like plant your sponsors everywhere you need to and everywhere you can, get them front and centre. Don't call your team. Like, it's it's ridiculous. And <laughs> it's not the only sport that does it by any any stretch. Go to go to uh, Southeast Asia and watch some football and try and keep up with the team names there and rugby as well. But it's just but, a little bit disenchanting. I mean, we're on a firm mission here. This is now two weeks in a row that we're advocating for this. So I, I think we start collecting signatures perhaps i think so i think go the jaco bin chickens because uh we it just works i like it very much uh, the the ineos bobbies as well is still just bubbling away for me but anyway uh let's talk about uh documentaries and give netflix a, a, another free plug because i'm sure they'll yep. do the same for us now i just want to quickly focus obviously the uh the, the it's out so people have seen probably most of the episodes but i want to hone back on the second episode in the series, and the reason we want to hone back on it is because your your bestie, Wout Van Art, uh, has come out and said, what? What's that all about? How dare a documentary maker take things that I said and contort them into a storyline to suit their narrative? <laughs> what documentary maker has ever done that before? That's not fair. Anyway, I, I just want to say quickly, like, great episode, really good insight into Yumbo, into this absolute empire uh, and a well-oiled machine for the most part, aside from some hilarious roadside hijinks in that. But Wout's come out and said, I don't like how I was portrayed in that, uh, basically because he was like, yeah, look, Primoz and Jonas are the go guys, but I'm just going to run ahead and grab this stage. Then comes back the next stage and pr- provides one of the great trains to, to pull in the time gap on, on Pog for Jonas. Anyway, my long story short is, I thought he came across as an absolute legend. Yes. It, now, this is interesting. I mean, a, a lot of my uh, circle have binged uh, Unchained. They've watched every episode either in one sitting or two, bit of sleep deprivation going on. Yeah. Um, I, I have not yet made my way to the very end. I'm trying to um, peter it out a little bit. Uh, but there is one particular episode that you're describing around Yumbo that, that Wout has reacted to. I find this one really interesting, I've got to say, because... I watched the episode and came away, like you, thinking Wout Van Aert is a legend. But more than that, Yumbo Visma are absolute geniuses because their ability to manage um, a personality and a talent like Wout Van Aert with personality, talent, ambition of Vingegaard and Primoz Roglic last year is absolutely remarkable. But it's like all the chatter and people are kind of, throwing a bit of shade at Wout actually, which is probably why he's reacting how he is saying that he's not an amazing teammate and he made some selfish moves and and whatever. I think it's so unrealistic. It's like when you've got these personalities in a big team, there will be tension and there will be clashes, but there was one fantastic scene where Wout was on the uh, massage table and his team director says to him, you know, what you have done today, it's upset Jonas and I think that you could handle it better and you need to consider uh, the move that you make when when you're in that position next time, which is what you described, Joel. The next day, he does better for the team and he sacrifices his stage and his yellow jersey for that. That's incredible evolution. Like to expect these guys to get it perfect every stage when they're under such pressure and in the heat of the moment, I think is unrealistic, but to be so agile and to be able to communicate in a way that Jonas feels safe, again, this vulnerability to say, I wasn't happy with that, but he doesn't Mm. like walk into the, the 
dinner table and upend it and say, you're a bastard and I can't believe you've done that. I mean, I'm not sure that Jonas knows Aussie swear words, but uh, apologies for that one. Yeah, but you bloody I drongo, think, wow. And, I know. I mean, I think that's the point, right? Like, Yeah, of course. He's allowed to feel upset by that. The How advanced and mature they are in handling that, I think is brilliant. And there were TV mm. cameras around who, like, if, if you think, that they caught all of it and they would have caught any grisly moments and that's the grisly. That's what they went ah, with? Yeah, exactly. That was now. exactly my take. storytelling. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I love it. I love I love Team Yumbo Visma even more than I did before. And and, um, and, and, and wow. It's, it's quite clear, as we've said, that Jonas is a bit of a shy customer and he's not sort of, you know, he doesn't, uh, cameras, are, you know, and, and it still played out really pretty calmly. What I did like is the insight that we had to <laughs> the absolute chaos trackside when he's like, we plan for everything. We plan for everything except for a drop chain. And then he, he basically jumps on a penny farthing bike uh, to, to, to ride for a few Ks. It's like, yeah, this is no good at all. I'm small. This bike is massive. Uh, and then they fix it all up. They turn it around. They end up closing a gap of, I think, 45 to about 15 seconds in the last 10 Ks or something like that. It's all good. It's, it's, it's good drama. It's also really <laughs> it's... hectic. It's extremely hectic. And a another plug for these athletes being some of the bravest souls on the planet, because I said to you the opening montage in that and in several of the episodes is actually a little bit uncomfortable at points because it's really, really confronting, crash-heavy, uh, drama-laden chaos, basically. It is. I mean, it's got everything, in my opinion. Um, Merxy said last week that he thought it was better than um, Drive to Survive. Merxy, do you stand by that this week? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think so too. One of my favourite lines uh, in it, uh, in the, the Yumbo episode, I won't, I won't um, delve into too many more, uh, was um, Nathan Van Hooydonk, who's significantly taller than Jonas, uh, when the chain drop happened and they swapped bikes. He just says into the radio, I'm on Jonas's effing bike. Yeah. Like, like seriously, guys. And then they have that very funny uh, moment where they're all trying to swap bikes back again. It is like organized chaos. It is like herding cats. It is so crazy out there. And we see this beautiful vision and we think we see the chaos because we see what the TV cameras see. But Outside of the chaos that everybody sees is another one, two, three, four layers of chaos. Oh, 100%. And you, you watch this and you're like, how do you even win a one-day race, let alone a three-week tour? Yeah, like, absolutely. It just is remarkable um, to even get to the end in one piece. So, yeah, I, I'm loving it. Although I've got to say, I've read this morning, Joel, that Netflix haven't confirmed yet a season two. A season two. I'm a bit two. disappointed with them. Yeah. Um, I think we're, we're going to have to have another um, set of signatures to, to advocate for that because I want a season two. Netflix, we will, we will stop plugging you on this show <laughs> if you don't confirm a season two ASAP. Snappy. You also saw, of course, the Primoz Roglic, that stack happening at the same time. And that, I just want to quickly mention heralded the nickname of Sticky Tape Man. That was the moment when his uh, out Lycra was just torn to it. It looked like he'd been in a fight with a wolf. Um, gets yes. back on the bike, finishes the stage in a great deal of pain. But oh. I tell you what, the turmoil, the chaos, the tension, the drama, the buzz, it's all there. Um, and it's its interesting to see. But yeah, well, like, like, go easy on yourself, mate. You came across pretty bloody well, if you ask me. And can I just say quickly, get the 
out of the way. The cars. The cars, yeah. it really yeah. highlights how close they are. And some of those narrow, especially on the cobbles, get out of the way. Because we're just got, something awful is going to happen. I don't want it to, but for God's sake. Do something about the cars. It is a cluster of chaos. And um, and I'll, I'll add to the comment on Primoz that had he have not just won the Giro, it would have almost brought up a lot of trauma watching uh, Unchained and what happened and, you know, putting his own shoulder back into place after oh. he dislocated it like the poor fella. But now that he's had his fairy tale, now you can watch it and, you know, kind of ride the wave with him rather than it being devastating. So that was good timing. I don't think they planned that, um, but, but but it was good timing. Convenient timing that you get yes. when you're documenting premium athletes doing elite yes. work. Now, let's talk about uh, a new player in the game on the Wheelhouse podcast. Actually, let's talk – actually, before that, oh, sorry, because I'm really excited about this. There's an absolute glut of national championships coming up. I want to talk about this quickly first. Not Australia, but overseas – and yeah. I think the pride that we see that that national jersey brings could have a decisive impact uh, over the re remainder of the season outside national championships. So I wanted to talk to you about your picks, I guess the highest profile national championship battles that we're going to see in Europe. Yeah, I, I think it is worth mentioning because uh, what happens is the week before the Tour de France, the UCI puts on hold any... Uh, UCI racing so that the European countries can have their national championships. Of course, in Australia, we have ours in January. Um, but this weekend is a wonderful tradition. It means the Aussie riders actually get a weekend off and get uh, to have a little bit of either a training camp or downtime. But we talked about Remco and Wout van Aert going for the Belgian national time trial championships. What a battle that'll be. Mm. Uh, this year, um, the national championships for Slovenia, I believe that Primoz and Pagacha are riding amongst others. So, uh, hello, how good will that competition be? Strap um, yourselves you look... in. Yeah. Exactly. And if you, if you go to France and we've got the current form of um, Demar and Laporte and Alaphilippe, like, hello, uh, that's a pretty cool <laughs> one. And then if we go to Great Britain, Mark Cavendish is the current incumbent uh, road race winner. But Geraint Thomas comes in off amazing duro form um, and he'll be riding that these will be some incredible races and then what's really cool is they get to then debut their uh champions jersey at the tour de france a lot of them so uh the teams value uh national championships and champions very much because they get to create this distinctive kit um and it's fantastic for 2022 uh ef education easy post they had six different national champion jerseys uh, in their team. Ineos had four um, after yep. that. UAE had four. Bahrain had four. So it is a bit of a bit of a thing of pride. So let's see um, what we can do here. I, I reckon um, Ineos might be uh, in a pretty good position, but um, EF as well. And uh, can I just say, if Ben Healy wins the Irish national championships for the road race, he's also he's currently the time trial champion. I yeah. will be so thrilled because he's such an exciting um, and animated rider that I reckon he'll bring he'll bring that jersey a lot of pride in the peloton. Oh, sure will, and uh, we'll we'll just be we'll go to town on nicknames. Obviously, if he becomes oh, the, the king of the shamrocks, that'll be amazing. <laughs> uh, that's really great, and I, I just think that you grow an extra leg. Obviously, that jersey does so much, so could have 
a, quite a decisive impact on the tours. I'm, I'm interested you brought up GT there, uh, Garrett Thomas, obviously, coming off a good GT. GT's got another GT coming up. If he can get uh, the NC to take into the GT, we <laughs> maybe we'll see... Uh, a delightful result. I don't know. Just, just, just riffing. So let's I don't talk know, about but those acronyms are making my head spin. It's this. <laughs> just take it easy on GT, please. Uh, now Zwift, bit of competition. There's a new player in the game. There's a new cat in the hen house. Is that the expression? I don't know. Whatever. Uh, Olympic esports series kicking off very, very soon. Uh, this is a little bit. This is like, ooh, okay. I've got shivers of excitement, and I kind of yeah. want to get the popcorn and watch watch this unfold. They do. I mean, there's been a lot of chat um, in the Olympic circles and certainly cycling um, about will the Olympics take on esports? And the answer so far has been not for the major games, not for our summer games or our winter games, but they've carved out their own series. So there's the finals of this weekend yeah. uh, in, in Singapore. Singapore. Yeah. Yep. So, and they're using Zwift as the platform um, for the racing and, the qualification for cycling uh, was done back around the world championships. So we've got some of our highest profile esports riders doing that. But this comes at the same time, Joel, as Indie Velo. Have you heard of them before? If you yeah, haven't, I have. well, you know what? You're probably somebody who's learned about them this week because they've yeah. just launched and everybody is like, holy Magoli, what is this? They're a competitor, Joel. I know. I was abs. That, that is exactly what I said. I said, oh, "Holy Magoli!" <laughs> yeah, that sounds like words you'd use. Yeah, I yeah. did. No, but it is. It, it's great. <laughs> I, I love this this Olympic one because it's basically that you know, global amateurs, pros doesn't matter, come from anywhere. But it's got that that prestige to it as well. Just put the Olympic word in there. We've yeah. seen what Zwift can provide. We've seen the pathways. We spoke about it ad nauseum. Another dimension to that, isn't it? Yeah. Now, the, I think this is really interesting because it's it, unrealistic to think that we're ever going to keep a monopoly in the esports space. Um, and they do, Zwift do have some competition. They've got My Wish, which is a big platform and it's on the UAE jersey. So that's a pretty prominent one. Uh, but this Indie Velo, they've come from um, people who have been inside Zwift uh, and the fella behind it uh, has actually been on a commissioner at British Cycling. Uh, he's involved in the racing side over at Zwift. So he knows it really well. Uh, mm. But what he's created with Indie Velo, it's less about community and far more about the racing side. Uh, and so they're working really hard on tweaking um, all of the inputs to make it more realistic to racing. So like wind um, and corner speed and all that sort of stuff so that it's not just purely as reliant i guess you'd say on power to weight uh, yep. so I, I think it's a really interesting uh platform and i think it could be really cool uh for the racing side uh, but i i think it will create change for the better um across the board because i love the community side of zwift like that's a really really big up for it is that you can go for these group rides that you can ride with garrett thomas uh after he's nearly won the giro and and chat to him and it isn't just about racing. Um, so many products in cycling focus on the people who want to race, but there's yeah. a whole lot of people who just want to ride. And so yeah. I think this will force um, Zwift to look at their business plan and who their customers are and their demographic. And um, it'll also mean that uh, Indie Velo has to 
really come in swinging and be better, not just better at racing than Swift, but better at getting people engaged because it isn't just all about racing. So I'm interested. I've kind of got the popcorn out on this one um, to see what happens. I like it. I love the community thing you're speaking about as well. There's a, there's actually, there's a podcast, there's a cycling podcast, which is doing a really good job of not just focusing on the racing, but bringing in the community. What's it called? Oh, that's Mm. right. The Wheelhouse with Kate and Joel. You should check it out sometime. <laughs> That's what it does. Uh, now, Rupert Guinness is a, is one of many friends of the Wheelhouse fraternity, the Wheel Pack. Um, we we tried to get him to. Uh, d- abandon his race across America to come exclusively on the show, but that's okay. He didn't want to do that. That's fine. But no. you've got, you've got a little bit of an update. You've got, you're on Roop Watch. Uh, you've got the Roop Tracker. I am. Uh, well, as we go to air, I, I literally have um, the Rupert Guinness dot What are we going to call it? We need to think of a wheelhouse, the wheelhouse, wheelhouse name for it. What's it called? Mm. I don't know. Ooh, I, don't I don't know. know. But I can tell you that the, uh, the RG dot which I'll call it just for now, um, <laughs> Rupert Guinness. Uh, as we are chatting, um, he is heading um, from the east coast, mm-hmm. um, the west coast, oh, my gosh, the west coast of the US across to the east. Uh, he's ridden about 120 miles um, at the moment. Uh, he's going, he's plugging along at about 20 miles an hour. He's got a long way to go. Uh, he's got a, a couple of days left to go. He yeah. won't be taking a lot of breaks, Joel. So I reckon it'll be, we'll chat to him next week and see how he's going. But yeah. um, dot tracking, it's like a new virtual sport on its own. Like you go, wow. these websites are cool. Like you go on and you can just like choose a rider and fixate on their dots and see exactly where they're going. So, um, yeah, at this point, Rupert's about to head into Phoenix. Um, okay. He's, he's around there. He's, he's somewhere near get Phoenix. He's got to Washington. He's got, okay. he's got a ways to go. Uh, the Roop Scoop. Thank you for providing us yeah. with a Roop Scoop, the Roop uh, scoop. on this yeah. edition, 51. We'll hear from him on 52. And please don't ever get the East and West Coast mixed up if you're with Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg because that won't go down very well, but that's okay. I was, um, I was doing my Never Eat Soggy Wheat Bix, so that's how yep. I at school learnt how to do your north, south, east, and west. Yep, yep, yep. Like so, music. Let's say you use your, your music charts as well. There you go. But I did, go. I did need my hands to do that. I hope that Roop isn't stopping at every intersection and going yeah. and doing soggy wheat picks. Where do I go now? That would yeah. be unfortunate. It's like, oh, I'm meant to be, okay, I'm meant to be in Philadelphia, but I'm in Wisconsin. And I took the oh, wrong turn. Um, what, a, what an absolute machine. Good luck, Rupert. We love you at the wheelhouse and uh, we can't wait to hear how that is all going. Maybe Kate and I will do a ride across Australia uh, inspired by your heroics one have day. You, have you looked at looked at the ride across Australia, Joe? Yeah, I've been mapping it out, Kate, because I'm so excited to do it. Can we, I, can I, we yeah. choose a small, I mean, a smaller country I, perhaps? I, did, I said ride. I didn't I didn't specify what manner of vehicle we'd be like, riding in. Like yeah. Monaco? An A380. Vatican City? that's better that's more like it I like it very much Uh, this is the Wheelhouse Podcast it's been an absolute pleasure as always Kate Bates thank you for the wonderful insights anecdotes uh, and 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 let's call it smackdowns that you bring to the table every single week it's been a pleasure my name's Joel Spreadborough like, share, subscribe tell everyone you know bye Kate ciao